traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Hello, I'm Anne McElvoy. And on this week's The Economist Asks, we ask, how do you win the AI race? Artificial intelligence is one of the most inspiring excitements in the tech world today with a tinge of fear about its potential. Success in creating AI could be the biggest event in the history of our civilization. But it could also be the last unless we learn how to avoid the risks. But from Siri to Alexa and parcels delivered by smart drones, the speed of AI's advancement is so fast that a Chinese chatbot has just created its first collection of poetry. The rain is blowing through the sea, a bird in the sky, a night of light and calm, sunlight, now in the sky, cool heart, the savage north wind, when I found a new world. But who's winning the business wars of artificial intelligence and its balance of power? Is it moving from America to China? China is thought to have about two-fifths of the world's trained AI scientists. In July, it announced its ambition to lead the world in the field by 2030. Well, here with me to answer these questions is Neil Shen, founder and managing partner of the venture capital firm Sequoia Capital in China. He's one of the most influential tech investors in the world today. One of his investments was in the world's largest drone company, DJI. Welcome, Neil. Thank you. And with us to go deeper into the artificial mind and its potential is Tom Standage. He's The Economist's deputy editor and a regular contributor on the future of AI. Welcome, the real Tom. Hello. So, Neil, to you first, as a venture capitalist and a professional trend watcher, I suppose, in that area, but what was it that sparked your personal interest as it as a, a young man or even as a boy? Well, I think uh, many, many years ago, people read uh, some fiction, and that was in the high school days. But today, I think, you know, sort of imaginations in the uh, fictions could actually become reality because today we have the computing powers. And then also because of the application of mobile internet, people have so much data they can use, which can benefit human beings. And Tom, you often write about this at The Economist. Mm -hmm. But what surprised you most over the years about the way that AI is progressing? Well, there have been bursts of enthusiasm about AI over the past few decades. And what's really changed this time, as Neil points out, is we have the computing power to really make it work. We have the data to train the systems on. Mm -hmm. And so for the first time, we really see widely deployed AI systems that billions of people are using every day without even realizing it. They're using apps, they're using internet services. And that's that's a very, very big shift because previously it's been very easy for those of us who are interested in AI and grew up reading those science fiction stories to get very carried away by some clever result. But it, it really is real now and it is extremely widely used. Um, we talk a lot about exciting ventures in AI, and I suppose every startup pretty much claims now to be using AI or to be pushing ahead in that field. But how do we distinguish them between a company which is really adding value in artificial intelligence and one that's simply bolting it on, as Tom suggests, I'm probably using AI numerous times this morning without thinking about it? Well, I think there are really two types of companies. One is developing 
the so-called infrastructure technology in the artificial intelligence area, for example, voice recognitions, computer visions, etc. And there's others which are applying those technology in their routine business. They, you know, Total being a very good example. It is a news aggregator, but it has been applied artificial intelligence in a very extensive way. So you're investing in both kinds of company, the infrastructure providers and the... Exactly. Right. And what about the phenomenon that you have, I don't know, a computer security company or a financial services company that's been around for four or five years, they add a bit of machine learning and they come to you and say, now we're an AI company. How do you judge a company like that? Surely everyone's claiming to be an AI company now. Um, you are probably correct. In the long run, every single company should be an AI company. They need to apply those technologies in better serving their customers. For example, education, whether it's offline or whether it's online, I see many of those companies top ones, adopting so-called artificial intelligence technologies. And they should be doing that in the next 5, 10, 15 years. And what do you think about the argument then, if we're all going to be using AI and it's going to be something that every company uses, that this gives a big advantage to the companies that have access to data? Because that means the big companies that already have millions of users have a, a head start and it's very difficult for a startup to break in. Do you think that's true? In a way, it's true. For example, we are looking at startup company in the online education space claiming that they have a superior AI technology. Mm. But on the other hand, you have to also pay attention to the legacy incumbent, which already have a lot of data in the education space. And clearly, they could leverage the user base, apply technology, and be a real leader in that space. Now, it is really a competition between the legacy player, which could apply technology versus the newcomers, which could, with a superior technology, and within a short period of time, accumulating you know, users. At the end of the day, both need data, but I don't want to give up altogether on the young startups. History has been shown us that there are some good chances those companies are going to break out with a superior technology. I want to talk to you about China and the way that China uh, approaches AI. Do you think that there is a difference, if you like, almost a, a character difference in the way that the AI industry is working in China to your competitors, say, in the US or in Britain or elsewhere? Yeah, I think I'm very optimistic about the prospects of the artificial intelligence industry in China, probably more so than back 20 years ago when China started the online internet. The reason being two. One is you need data for artificial intelligence development. And we have uh, tons of data, whether it's Alibaba's transaction data to the social network data from you know, WeChat, et cetera. And on top of that, when you're looking at the researchers and experts in that space, there are many actually are Chinese. And if you're looking at quotations, you know, research papers, the Chinese AI research in the world has a very decent market share and so with that, I think we have a very good chance to take a lead. In fact, fundamentally, what is AI in the whole science field? It's mathematics and statistics. And China has very strong talent in these two areas. You, you've got a smile on your face as if to say, yeah, we can do that. I mean, I'm a math major when I was undergrad in China. And there are many of my 
talented, uh, you know, alums and colleagues. I'm pretty sure they could do well. So you've that. so you've got the talent and you've got the data. Is the environment for getting hold of that data easier in in China? Is the regulatory environment does that make life easier? Because in in Europe, for example, we have quite strict rules about privacy and and so forth. Well, I think privacies and protections is always a issue, whether it's in UK or whether in US or whether in China. I think there are different sectors、uh, in China have different regulations. I do think those regulations are very important and relevant. But in general, I think there is just more data point. But there is surely a, a danger that AI can be used as a tool of suppression a, a, and surveillance. And I'm going to stick my neck out here and say, in an authoritarian country such as China, does that worry you at all? I don't think so. Why not? I mean, can you just engage with the question a, a bit? Because it is clearly, you know, to say that we collect data everywhere, but you are not prepared to talk about that. I mean, it could make the censorship of the internet much easier, couldn't it? No. I mean, is it broadly true, Mr. Chen, that you just don't want to talk about the implications for a more authoritarian society? It does leave a little bit of a hole around that. Well, we'll we'll move on.、Um, let's talk about Chinese artificial intelligence companies and going global. If we assume that the data collection is of a different order for all sorts of reasons, somewhat to to do with the system, but other things that are simply to do with many more data points, as as you indicated, what are the barriers that Chinese companies would face when they try to do business? Overseas, and how would you go about overcoming that? Because you've got so many different territories, so many different rules and data sets. Yeah, I think first of all, you have to respect the local protocol, and there is obviously different online behavior and, and dynamics you have to live with, and then also you have to win the trust of your customers and your counterparties. I have been seeing that you know the Ch- many Chinese tech company has expand overseas, especially in Southeast Asia, and with some decent success. It's not an easy exercise because many of those product and offerings are based on user behavior in China, and not all of them might work、uh, in US or Europe. It's true, isn't it, Tom? That a lot of the discussion, the philosophical discussion, if you like, around artificial intelligence, tends to be led by concerns. It comes not exactly with negativity. People are very excited about it, but they're also very worried about it. Whether it's job disruption, whether it's possible uses and abuses by governments or other agencies in terms of its intrusiveness. Is, has AI yet got to grips with its own importance in that sense? I think there is a problem here, and I'd be very interested to hear what Neil has to say about this. But essentially, we're trained by Hollywood from birth to be scared of AI. We're told that robots could go bad, although in Hollywood films, usually the red light comes on at the time, so you can tell that they're being bad. And we're also trained that robots will take our jobs. I think that's a more legitimate concern than the rogue AI. Concern, but you know we have heard Stephen Hawking and Elon Musk and other people who are worried about this, and they're big figures in their field. So should we be taking them seriously? What do you say to people who are worried about that? Well, I think before AGI, artificial general intelligence becomes really available, 
there's not really much you should worry about it. So by AGI, you're referring to sort of general artificial intelligence that could do anything rather than these very specialist systems that exactly, we have. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And the, then the question coming down to when AGI is going to be you know, ready, 10 years on the most optimistic side, or there's 30, 40 years, and then even people think about it, that we will never even get into AGI at all. And mankind can really has a lot of say in the formation of those general artificial intelligence. So it's a little bit too early to adopting a, you know, a specific strategy or plan to plan for that. So yes. would you be prepared to take a bet that AI would create more new jobs than it destroys, or would you not be prepared to uh, take any of your, uh, honestly, uh, earned income and put it on that as a bet? Well, I would imagine they're probably going to be a little bit of a U-shape uh, in the sense um, there are some you know, job get lost for sure. You know, translator might be you know not able to really compete against the machine translators, etc. But at the end, there'll be more opportunity open up in certain areas that you are able to have things to do more effectively and more productively, so that overall loss to jobs may not be that much. In my view, obviously, it is a bumpy road and uh, there are certain jobs to be lost and etc. Now, we're very good at identifying which jobs AI might destroy. And it's very hard to imagine the new jobs that will be created. And if you go back a century, the same would be true of computers. If you try to explain to people a century ago all the sorts of jobs that people do in the tech industry, they won't know what you're talking about. Is there an example? Because you've seen this. You're creating jobs in AI by investing in these companies. I'm asking, I wonder, for example, people are saying that we need people who can train AIs, and that's a kind of a new job that we didn't have before. Do you have a, a pet example of how this could lead to job creation? I don't have a particular sort of job description as okay. yet, but I would imagine that, you know, look, back 10 years ago, you would be having difficult time imagining that when you're using mobile phone, you can order food deliveries, massage through the online with one button, and today those could be provided. And with artificial intelligence, more personalized service could be provided. And who can be providing those? Some will be by machine, by robots, but some have to be done by human beings. We can't let you go, Neil, without a word about uh, drones as an investor in a major Chinese drone company. And uh, and uh, Tom is uh, someone who deals with, with drones very often, has written a special report on the subject. I mean, Tom... What sentence would you send Neil's way by drone or in person? Well, I want to know what you think is the interaction between drones and AI, because some people say that drones are only just getting started. And when you add AI to them and they become autonomous, suddenly all sorts of wonderful things can happen. But what do you think? And if so, what are those wonderful things? Well, a commercial drone, in my view, already have the AI component to that. And obviously, with uh, more data and with more computing power, they could be more effective and do all sorts of things which today you cannot you know, ask them to do. And I see uh, drone really going from just a pure commercial drone, i.e. photographer, etc., to agriculture, industrial, etc. And then when that happened, I think a artificial intelligence algorithm could be very helpful for people to instruct them to complete a specific task. When you were you mentioned when you were young reading science fiction, and I suppose that inspired at least a, a part of what you do, thinking mm-hmm. things being possible, becoming possible that, that we thought were outlandish or just fiction. What use of artificial intelligence would you like to see fulfilled by the end of of your lifetime? And if you had a dream for AI, what would it be? 
Well, I think the wildest imagination is one day artificial intelligence integrate with a human body, which means that the sense of a human being could be transplanted to a machine and could be exported to somewhere else. And I think that, to me, is probably the really the very the fattest、uh, direction a artificial intelligence could go. The way artificial intelligence has been developed in China as well as you know rest of the world has been really exceed our you know imaginations. A couple years ago, we saw it's really far away and not really going to be applied to real life. Today, it is applied to real life and is have become effective in many commercial areas. And I think things will just getting more accelerated in the years to come. Neil Shen and Tom Standage, thank you very much for our AI tour there. That's it from the Economist asks this week. Let us know what you think about the rise of AI, its promise or its threats on Twitter. We're at Economist Radio. You can also follow me at Anne McElvoy. And if you can't squeeze your thoughts into a tweet, well, never fear. There's email as well. Do get in touch via radio at economist.com. In London, this is the Economist.、Mm-hmm.